the book of Daniel. If you'd like to find it among the major prophets following the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Daniel is a totally historical, completely reliable, accurate record of history, including history that is now past, some things that are taking place today, and history that has yet to be lived. Daniel has been called by many the key to prophecy. And indeed, it is true that unless the book of Daniel is understood, then the very simple, really, when you just let the Word of God speak for itself, the very simple system of prophecy by which God has revealed so much to us uh, falls right into place when Daniel is understood. And without Daniel, there are gaping holes left in it. Now, to set the historical background of the book a little bit, Nebuchadnezzar had become king, it says in the book of Daniel, at a certain point in history. Uh, actually, in 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar had become what was called co-ruler with his father, whose name was Nabopolassar. And Nabopolassar elevated his son, Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know who thought those names up. But he elevated his son, Nebuchadnezzar, to be co-ruler with him, as in fact Nebuchadnezzar later did with his own son. Now, in 606 B.C., the newly minted co-ruler of the Babylonian Empire set out on a war of conquest to spread the dominion of the Babylonian Empire across the known world. It was in that same year of 606 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar completely defeated the nation of Egypt and brought Egypt to her knees and made her a part of his empire. That same year on his way home, he stopped by Jerusalem and besieged it and captured the city. But while he was at Jerusalem deciding uh, whom he was going to execute and who he was going to set up as puppet king and do various things, he received word that his father Nabopolassar had died and that he was now sole ruler of the Babylonian Empire. And so he restored the king Jehoiakim to the throne of Judah and he left and went back home but not before he had plundered Jerusalem, taken much gold and precious stones and silver from the temple and had taken many of the choice young people of the nation captive back to Babylon with him. Now Nebuchadnezzar's defeat of Egypt marked the beginning of what the Lord Jesus called in his prophetic odyssey of Matthew 24 and 25, the times of the Gentiles. For with Babylon, the first of four world empires began to reign the known world. And that began what prophecy calls the times of the Gentiles. Now, chapter 1 that we consider tonight, we're going to do Daniel in 12 sermons. Like Revelation, you could take months and months and months to do Daniel, but it would be very tedious. If you missed anything, you'd lose out. It would get boring and we'd lose interest. So rather than do that, we're going to study Daniel one chapter at a time. And unlike most books of the Bible, Daniel falls into natural divisions by chapters. Every chapter is a unit. 
unto itself. And so for the next 12 Sunday nights, we're going to look at Daniel. Chapter 1 tells us how Daniel, who rose to be one of the key leaders in Babylonian history, came to have such a high position in the government. This book all the way through, and this chapter also, chapter 1, is a beautifully written, moving account, brief and condensed, providing the historical setting for the rest of the book of Daniel. We will see how Daniel was called, prepared, matured, and blessed by God for the ministry to which God in his sovereignty had appointed him to. He had the best education in the world, probably because it was several hundred years later and they knew more, the knowledge of man had increased. The education of Daniel was superior to anyone of any of the characters in the Old Testament, even greater than Moses had received in Egypt or Solomon at the hands of the wise men of his day. And so chapter 1 of Daniel, the faithful exiles. Notice in verses 1 through 7, here is what I have called a new life. Let's read those verses. Daniel 1, 1 to 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the seed of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. God was reclaiming a Sabbath rest for his land, for the promised land, a Sabbath rest of years, which the people of Israel had refused to honor as they had deserted the Lord faithlessly followed the Canaanite peoples into idolatry and forsaken the ways that God had taught them when he brought them out of Egypt and into the land of promise. Seventy years was a Sabbath, a seventh of the time since Moses had brought them out of Egypt and since they had entered into the promised land. They had degenerated morally 
and now they were paying for it. They were learning that God really does mean what he says and he really does care what we do, how we do it, and how we worship. They were paying now for their sin. These captives which uh, the king would bring back with him from all of the conquered countries would serve several purposes during the time of reconstruction of the new government following any war of conquest there would be ample time for the men of the king's service to determine who were the wisest the most intelligent the most educated men of the country and then these especially the younger ones would be taken back to Babylon they would serve several purposes first of all they would serve as a kind of captives as hostages uh, so to speak, to keep the provinces in line. For normally they would depose the reigning monarch, but they would leave people who respected him or who loved him or who had family ties with him on the throne and th they would become his hostages. And if anything happened in that particular province of the empire, he had them to use as leverage against rebellion, threatening to take their lives. Further than that, they provided needed services and gave the king a brain trust of the very best minds in the world. And they normally could become loyal servants of the king and into other generations even help perpetuate the empire by being a tie with the provinces and by their being supportive of the king and the empire. They would be an asset to him in that way. I'm sure also that they fed his ego. They were reminders to him that he had conquered other nations that were once great and brought them to submission. Now, how did they handle them? Well, they indoctrinated them. First of all, they were denationalized. They received new names, new clothes. They were put into a new environment and everything from their past was removed. Second, every reminder of the religion of the conquered nation was completely removed. Every reminder of their religion was done away with. And normally they used adolescents, young people, teenagers, so they could catch them during their impressionable adolescent years. They found that they had a greater chance of success with them. But there was a kink in the king's plan. For among the captives, there was one boy, one young man named Daniel who led three of his friends to stand up for God in many ways in defiance of the power of an empire that now controlled the world. But Daniel would not compromise. What a beautiful example that is for us. They knew the prophecy of Jeremiah before the city of Jerusalem had fallen and the nation had been made a part of the Babylonian Empire, Jeremiah had prophesied repeatedly and all the people knew his prophecy 
that the destruction of Jerusalem was coming, the captivity would come, and when it came, it would be at least 70 years before the nation was allowed to regather. Daniel believed God. He believed God's prophet. And he and his friends knew that they could never go home again. They were in Babylon to stay. And yet, with no chance of freedom, they were willing to risk their lives rather than turn their backs on God. It was a custom for the king to provide from the very food and drink that he used for all of those in his court. And it was the best food that the world had to offer. Also, these young men were to receive the very best education in the world. They were to be trained in the literature and language of the Chaldeans, the wise men of the Babylonians. The Chaldeans were the scientists of their day as well as the philosophers. They were schooled in all of the philosophy of their world. They were schooled in astronomy and in all of the natural sciences of that day. They were schooled in astrology and magic and uh, anything that would help them predict and determine the course of events. They were in their day by far the wisest of all people and the most intelligent. And these boys were to be educated by the best professors in the best university in the world. Now all of the names of these young men as they are given here represent a relationship to God Almighty, to Jehovah God. Now when you read your English Bible, in the Old Testament especially, you find names that end with E-L, that is a suffix, an abbreviation for Elohim, which is one of the Old Testament words for God. When you find a name that ends with A-H, that is a, a, um, a suffix for Jehovah, Jehovah God. And so, although not all the names reflected that, the names of these Four young men reflect that they must have come from godly homes. Listen to what their names mean. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means beloved of Jehovah. Mishael means who is what God is. Azariah means the Lord is my help. And so these four young men with the Hebrew concept of what a name meant were not lightly named. Their parents had named them in the way that they would raise them to adulthood in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But now notice, you think the Babylonians weren't sharp and they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know their homework. Listen to the way that they changed their names contradicting everything that these young men had been taught. Daniel's name, God is my judge, was changed to Belteshazzar, which means the prince of Bel, B-E-L, who was the chief god in the Babylonian system of worship. Hananiah's name, beloved of Jehovah, was changed to Shadrach, 
which means illumined by the God of the Son, another of their deities. Mishael's name, who is what God is, was changed to Meshach, which means who is like Venus, the goddess of the moon. Azariah, the Lord is my judge, had his, the Lord is my help, had his name changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Mercury, the messenger god of the ancient gods. This was a part of the attempt on the part of the Babylonians to change them completely, to shape them, to brainwash them, to press them into a mold where the empire could benefit by their intelligence and their abilities without being threatened by their consciences and their free thought processes. But fortunately, you don't always change what somebody is on the inside when you change what you call them. And then notice in verses 8 to 13, here is what I have called a new temptation. We read, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord my king who has appointed your food and your drink for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, a question before we consider these verses. I want you to think about it. Does God mean this much to you? Does he mean this much to you? Consider that these were teenage boys. They had been taken far away from their homes. They had been separated from their families, from the land of their birth. They were alone in a strange land at the mercy of a pagan king. They knew they could never go home again. Now, why didn't they just go along? All the others did. Certainly, God would understand why many of the others were good, upstanding, righteous Jewish boys. Surely they reasoned we can do more good for God alive than dead. Surely the others reasoned, why does it make that much difference? It is being a little too radical to give your life for principle or to risk becoming the king's slave rather than a servant in the king's court. But these young men, led by Daniel, knew the Lord. They knew the law of Moses 
And no doubt nearly everything that was presented to them was forbidden to them by the law of Moses. Now, remember that these guys weren't New Testament Christians. They had the law of Moses, which is the word of God every much is John 3.16. And they were committed to God. They knew the word. They knew that it wasn't good for them. And they knew beyond this, though it's not mentioned in this chapter, that there was an elaborate religious system in Babylon and everything that they ate would have gone through a process of consecration to a pagan god. And they would be participating in honoring a pagan god by eating at the king's table. And so they were willing to risk everything they had because they cared more about God than they feared the king. They cared more about God than they feared the king. They would not compromise. Now, we have no way of knowing except by comparing the later exile at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah about the people who came back. We have no way of knowing how many hundreds or thousands of Jewish captives were taken to Babylon. But of this first group, Ezra and Nehemiah went to Babylon much later in a continuing deportation as, as Babylon raided the provinces to build up their brain trust and their services. Of all those who went the first time in 605 B.C., only these four made the word by their faithfulness to God. Only these four. And the book of Daniel covers a period of 80 years and yet no other names of Jewish exiles are mentioned. All the others went the way of the world, but these shunned a thousand excuses and they are proof that God blesses those who are careful and faithful in the little things. For the Lord Jesus told us, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. Daniel shows, I want you to notice in these verses, Daniel shows no rudeness or fanaticism. Daniel could have gone out in a blaze of glory as a martyr, but he was not rude or fanatical. Notice what he did. Daniel appealed to authority for permission to do what he knew was right. Daniel appealed to authority. You say, well, what would Daniel have done if he'd appealed to authority? You know, now notice he, did, he went to two men. The commander of the official said, forget it, kid. The king will literally have my head if you don't make it. So he went to the overseer down the line. What if Daniel hadn't had success appealing to authority? Then I am sure that he would have suffered gladly whatever the consequences were for failing to compromise his convictions. But the fact remains that here was a little Jewish teenage boy 
in a place far away from home who couldn't have cared less. The whole empire couldn't have cared less if he lived or died. But by being faithful to God and appealing to authority, he was granted permission and the blessing of God. Now, beloved, with that in mind, it's rather difficult for you and I to find rationalization to ever rebel against God-given authority. For we are not in that kind of a situation. And even if we were, read Romans chapter 13, we have an obligation to God to protect his reputation by submitting to authority. For Paul tells us that all of the authority in the world is a reflection of the order that God has established as he created all things that have been created. Daniel refused to compromise, but he appealed to authority for permission. Finally, he received a positive answer, a permission for a short-term test. Notice in verses 14 to 16, here is a new appearance. They won their point. After 10 days, they seemed to be in better health than the other young men, and they were allowed to continue without violating their conscience. They had everything to lose. They had nothing to gain in their own eyes. They had everything to lose, even their lives. But they were willing to do so if they had to. And then notice in verses 17 through 20, here is a new wisdom. We read, and as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of days, that is, at the end of those three years, at the end of days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them all, not one, of the others was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. Here is a new wisdom. After three years, they were still faithful. And God had gifted them with wisdom and intelligence that left them head and shoulders above all of the others. Like them, we need to resolve in our hearts that we'll honor God. Then like Daniel, at the appropriate time, we need to speak up when it's necessary then we need to be consistent. And then we have to trust God for the consequences. You see, they had directly violated the king's order. And if the king had known about it, there is every likelihood that in his anger, as we will see Nebuchadnezzar to be a very volatile individual, and as Proverbs says, the man who can't contain his temper is the worst kind of fool who lives. We will find Nebuchadnezzar to be that kind of a man even though they looked better 
and were smarter, they could forfeit their lives because they had disobeyed the king. And yet, they were willing to do so rather than turn their backs on the Lord. By the end of this period of training, they were probably 18 to 20 years old. And now they entered into the king's service. And Daniel, as we shall see, was appointed to special honor by the sovereignty of God. And then notice in, verses, in verse 21, the last verse of the chapter, here is a new longevity. I wanted to single this out, not to say that when you serve God, you will always come away successful and on top of everything. That's not the point of it. The point of it is, is these three young companions of Daniel state in another chapter, even if God sees fit not to rescue us from your hand, O king, we will not turn away from him. But I want you to see what happened to Daniel. Verse 21 says very simply, And Daniel continued unto the first year of Cyrus the king. Daniel continued. Underline it. Write it down. God honors those who trust and honor him. What a crowning touch. This one who resolved within his heart to obey God kept on for over 70 more years. Daniel endured in positions of high trust, in areas of responsibility, through changes of kings, through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Belshazzar's son, through into a change of empires through Cyrus, king of Persia. Daniel continued because God honors those who honor him and leave the consequences in his hand. Our world needs that kind of Christians today. And we need to know that we can make a difference. We can make a difference. Daniel had significant impact on the course of history like the Apostle Paul did in the New Testament era. Daniel, as we shall see later in the book, led through his consistent witness and his years of uprightness ultimately to the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar to faith in God. We can make a difference. Daniel never went home, but this book, even though it is much shorter than some of the other Old Testament prophecies, contains the most sweeping and important revelations of prophecy in the Old Testament. This chapter is a beautifully complete narrative. It is a testimony to God's power. And I want you to remember this. Hang this somewhere and remember it. Daniel would never have accomplished what he did if he had done it the world's way. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night in order that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. You see, we many times, every one of us in our own ways, compromise what we know God wants in order to succeed. 
but the Word of God teaches throughout Old and New Testament that compromise eliminates the possibility of success. Daniel could never have accomplished what he did if he had done it the world's way. We are told later in this book that Daniel held many titles. He was called the chief over all the wise men of the realm. Later in his life, he was called the third ruler of the kingdom. Now, you know, a while ago I talked about Nebuchadnezzar being co-ruler. His father was the king. He was the second ruler for a time. And that meant that Daniel, in a later time in the same situation, was third ruler. Like Joseph, who had failed to compromise himself in Egypt, Daniel rose to the throne to be, in terms of practical power, one of the most powerful men in history because he was faithful and true to God. We don't live in that kind of an empire, but we live in a moral Babylon. And I wonder, can we do less? Compromising righteousness never serves God. We need the spirit of Daniel. We need his love for God, which led him to be willing to give everything he had if he had to. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And I wonder, I wonder, do you dare make that kind of a commitment to God Almighty? May we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word, its completeness, and the fact that it addresses the human situation wherever we touch it. Father, I thank you right now that you have promised that your word, when it is honored and proclaimed, will do its work. And Lord, I thank you that within this room there are lives that are going to be touched by the word and by the example of Daniel who are going to have impact at home, on their jobs perhaps, or at school. They're going to be faithful and daring in the name of Jesus. Father, you take us. We're not anything at all. We are less than anything. We know that in us, within our flesh, dwells nothing that's any good. But we love you because first you loved us and gave your life for us. Do with us as you please. Draw from us life-changing commitment. May we dare to do that which will mark us and set us apart and make us risk everything that we have so that then you can begin to use us and move through us and touch our world. I thank you that it shall be so. For I claim it in the name of Jesus. Amen.